Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Welcome inside to Alex Garrett and uh, podcasting. And some of you may not know, but sometimes I walk around New York with this small town feeling like I just love being out of the city. I love being in sort of a small town setting uh, because the city can go rough and tumble. That being said, I don't even want to lose the city and the people that have left it, 120,000. But I feel like my next guest has some ideas on how to maybe balance both. And my guess is Nick Lyons. He's an author of Fire in the Straw, Notes on Inventing a Life. First of all, Nick, uh, so glad to meet you, and thanks for joining today. I'm just delighted to be here, Alec. Now, you have a doctor. You've uh, got four kids, and uh, yep. you write about your life in this book. Uh, but I want to first get to why this whole idea from shifting to the city to rural America and whatnot fascinates you. Well, uh I have lived in cities all my life, and I've always had uh, a passion for fishing, as it were, fly fishing, and, and for the country. I felt that I wanted more country in me. And at a certain time in my life, about, uh, oh, it's just a little more than 20 years ago, uh, I picked up roots and went to Woodstock, which is uh, about two hours from the city, from New York City. Uh, and it, uh, it was a totally different life. We mostly lived there for about 20 years, and then um, after my wife died and my oldest son died of melanoma, um, which he'd had, uh, I had moved back to the city to be near the rest of my family. So I'm <clears throat> not an example of someone who left permanently, but I did leave because I wanted more simplicity. I'd lived a very complicated life in New York, never enough money to survive with my big family, always in debt, holding three full-time jobs at one time. And uh, the country seemed like a different world. Uh, simplicity, simplicity, says Thoreau. Uh, let your affairs be as one in ten, not ten in a thousand. Uh, and I, I just wanted things calmer and simpler and less uh, pressured than New York. Well, uh, as you can tell, as no. you can tell, uh, Nick Lyons, my guess, he's an English professor. He he loves the English language, as you could tell, uh, right there. Uh, but are you surprised that more than half, uh, or at least half of Americans now want to go into a rural setting, knowing that you've been there? Are you surprised that people do want to leave the city? I, I am. Uh, the city, for a younger person who has not got the particularly the financial problems that 
that at that time. Um, the city is a very engaging place. I loved it, and I still do, uh, though I can't do much about it at the age of 88. But uh, it has uh, the great museums of the world. It has great theater, great movies, interesting people. Um, and um, the notion of moving to a simpler life in part seems like the number of people going doesn't surprise me with the COVID around and the uh, absence of a lot of the, the joys and pleasures that one normally has. But uh, what what interested me about it and what seems to me in a, in a sense true is that the desire for a simpler life is very often not the desire for uh, a wiser or better life. I don't, I don't, think it is. Uh, I made very good use of it. I was already, my children were grown. Uh, I had a, a wonderful 20 years, but uh, I came back. I, I totally see that, you know, I'm a younger person, but as you're talking, you know, I wonder, is there ever, because you came back, but are there people out there starting to not fall in love with New York City? I mean, we always thought we wouldn't fall out of love, but is that happening? Yes, I'm, I'm afraid it does. Uh, there's a wonderful quote by Samuel Johnson uh, about London, and he says, when you stop loving London, you stop loving life, that life is London. And in a sense, New York has that quality also. And I fear that the people leaving are, in a sense, uh, backing out of life, and they don't realize that... Uh, uh, they, that they should come with something to do out there. Otherwise, they're going to feel the absence of all the excitement of a great mm. city, which this is. Uh, yep. I've seen it. I mean, I've seen a lot of people who went to Woodstock in the last year or so uh, who are uh, at first very excited by it and then very concerned that it's not the life they want. Well, how did you, you know, you say you moved back to the city, so what was, what pulled you back in? What was the, aside from family, what else pulled you back in to come back to New York? Well, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things is that I have uh, other family here. I have three children, um, four grandchildren, and a lot of friends that I had made in the 40 years that I lived in, in the city. Uh, another reason was that uh, I had left the city because the country seemed simpler and also much less expensive. But it turns out that uh, keeping the house, particularly when you're heating it in the winter, uh, that the country can be more expensive and that what you go out after uh, is not what you're going to get. Mm. Uh, it actually is a lot more economical for me to live in a, an apartment here. I don't have a financial problem anymore having sold a business. And... Uh, uh, and, and I think that it's, it's something that one should consider very carefully before one does go. I know that everyone's leaving now, or a lot of people are leaving. Uh, and I know they think it's for a simpler life and a better life. But it isn't necessarily so. Uh, the, the country is filled with, with the difficulties of, of running a household, uh, dealing with all the problems yourself rather than having a landlord do so. And uh, it's for some people, but not for all people. Well, I like being back. I like the security of it. I like the uh, 
to help I get in an apartment. I like having the house off my back. And I like having a lot of people that I know here. And also, as soon as the COVID uh, vanishes a little bit, I'm going to like using the museums and the and the great libraries and the great uh, uh, movies and, and live theater and opera and all the rest. Of it. Nick, yeah. I'm so glad you said that you feel like you know a lot of people here in New York City. I think for residents here, you know, from the outside perspective, no one would think this is a small town. But if you're a resident here, you kind of know a lot of people. Doesn't there still seem like a small town feel here in a big city as well? Yes, it does. I mean, I think the uh, the way in which we build a world of our own. I did so through the school when I was teaching at Hunter College. I did so through the uh, families of my children who were the four of them as they were growing up. I got to know them, their brothers and sisters, their parents, and there were worlds within worlds. New York is not just an amorphous big place with a lot of excitement. It is many small worlds within it. Uh, the difficulty is, uh, for some people, is, is the difficulty of earning a living. It's a hard place to find the right job. Mm. It's a hard place to find the right money to support a way of life that you're almost forced to buy in, four children it was. Mm. Um, and uh, it was very hard for me when I was here the first, at first. And I left and enjoyed the country, but I did not enjoy it after uh, my wife died, my son, if my oldest son died, and uh, I, I felt I wanted to be closer to the action, so to speak. Nick, to that to that point, uh, my podcast is about adapting. So, what are the adaptations you made? And I know you say you reinvented yourself. Talk a little bit about that adaptation to the country, back to the city, uh, and then yourself as well. Yes, I, I, I think adaptation is, is the key to both of my moves. When I moved to the country, I could support myself there. I wanted the free time. I knew what to do with free time. And uh, it was not a question of adapting to a community. I, I basically wanted to do my work, was editing, which I could do any place, and also uh, writing. I wrote something like 12 books while I was in Woodstock during those 20 years, and uh, essays and stories and a lot of other things. I think the adaptation comes with what you're able to bring to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, I enjoyed having a house. I enjoyed shopping, being being in control of everything that went on in that in that little community. And I enjoyed a new kind of friend, a friend who could invite you to sit on his back porch rather than meet you at a restaurant and have dinner with you. Um, I think that adaptation is partly the result of what you bring. And when I came back to the city, it was time to do so. I wanted better medical attention um, of a variety of kinds, and I wanted... Uh, wanted to have my uh, the rest of my family around me. I couldn't drive anymore, so it wasn't mm -hmm. the time to be up in the country. But uh, I think that quality of adaptation, that ability to learn new things, to, uh, to show up rather than calling in uh, a list, uh, mm -hmm. the ability to uh, 
buy the things you need for the house and set it up, set up housekeeping, um, was was very exciting. And particularly the amount of time that I had since I tend to uh, write for long periods of time, 10, 12 hours in a day sometimes. Um, so that adaptation was partly who I was and partly what I wanted and not running away from something so much as going to something that I knew something about. Mm. Um, I think I think that that's, that quality of adapting is something that, that I think we all have to have, and more and more we're going to have to have it because these uh, of these incredible uh, pandemics and the basic difficulty of of uh, most jobs. Most of the work that goes on in a publishing house today is not the same thing that went on even 10 years ago. There are new machines, there are new, new uh, to adapt to. Uh, I have had a great deal of difficulty adapting to the simple use of the computer. Um, and uh, uh, I think that, that some of the mechanical things that I can't do uh, hamper me a great deal. But young people are going to have to learn them. They're Nick, going to have to learn every one of them. Nick, I, I don't know their jobs and so forth. Yeah, Nick, I um, love I love that. And I was just going to ask you, being that you're 88, huh, social media to you, a speaking of the whole rural versus city, I I think if we take too many pictures of the rural side, or it, you were able to write books when you were up there and focus on that. Do you think our technology is taking focus off nature, off? the rural, off-the-country life, as well as off-city life as well? Well, I think it's, it's, it's uh, going to be absolutely necessary for people to learn the technologies and to bring it with them. Um, I think there's no reason to write on a... I had an Underwood Sanded typewriter for all of my life until about uh, six or seven years ago. And then for a number of reasons, I decided to switch to a computer. But I, I, I think having the ability to use the technology gives you one more asset if you go to the country. Um, it's uh, maybe harder to find somebody to fix your computer, but there's an awful lot of difference between pecking away at an Underwood standard and the, and the simplicity and and ease of using a uh, of using a computer. I think technology has brought a lot of people pleasure in the country, and I think that going with those things is, is for many people a good good idea. Now I know there are a lot who who relish the uh, the more rustic life. They want a rustic life. Um, they want something where they are involved with the growing of their own food, uh, for instance, which you don't do in the city. Uh, I, I was less interested that, in that, but I respect it and enjoy someone else's tomatoes, so to speak. Mm. You know, I got to ask um, you, Nick, um, do you still have that typewriter or do you still use one? I do. I think there are times when I have to do something and I don't want to go to Word, and I don't, which I don't use very well. I don't want to hire somebody to do it for me. Uh, I like the old machine. It was reliable. It didn't have any, never, never lost everything I'd written 
which this machine in front of me uh, has done twice. Where I've written an essay, which is what I mostly write, and it just has vanished. I've pushed the wrong key or done something, and it just doesn't exist. I like the old typewriter because it, uh, it is reliable in that respect. But you seem like sort of the romantical type where just the typing on the typewriter is cathartic for you as well. I, I have liked it that way. I, I have, you know, I was pretty good at it, and I would often type for many hours at a time. Uh, I never had any of those problems with uh, fingers tightening up or arthritis. I was lucky to, to avoid them. But it is cathartic. Uh, I, I was an athlete when I was younger and played college basketball for the University of Pennsylvania. And um, I know that when the studying became too hard, I would go to the gym, and the gym would, would provide me with some respite from too much thinking or too much tension. I think using some of these old machines can be cathartic, just as you say. Um, but uh, I'm, 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 you know, at my age, I'm, I don't need the cathartic as much. Mm. What I need is some instrument to help me put the stories or the essays down on paper and, uh, and worry about what's in it rather than how it got there. Hmm. Well, now you've written uh, A Fire in the Straw, and I, and I want to, I, I don't, I'm not saying this jokingly, but did you, how did you write it? Now I'm curious how you wrote A Fire in the Straw. Um, I, I write almost everything by hand first. I never write compose on a, uh, on a machine. I didn't compose on a typewriter. Um, and there were some sections when I wanted to look at them very carefully when I triple spaced them on the typewriter. So I had plenty of room in between the lines and could really think about the phrasing uh, very exactingly. Um, but I, I write it as everything is written first by hand, usually transposed to uh, some kind of typing. Um, after I had gotten the draft, I next to the last draft, and then I'd have one put the last draft put on a uh, computer. Either I would do it or I'd have young, some young person put it on for me, and then I'd go back and do the final corrections on it. But um, the old hand and pencil and pen worked very well, and then I would use the typewriter now and then, uh, not as often as I used to. But uh, I do rewrite a lot. Being an editor, I get a chance to look at something very, very carefully. And I don't particularly like to... Uh, to uh, make a make a fire by rubbing sticks together when there's a good match around or a good gas burner, um, it doesn't give me any more pleasure to do something in the more difficult way. But it does a lot of people. A lot of people want to go back to the more primitive, the more the more uh, um, uh, involving of your whole life, and less of those things which abstract it which make it easier, presumably, or less, uh, less direct. Um, well, Nick, so tell, tell us yeah. about the book, because I'm very curious about the book now. So you want to reinvent yourself, and it sounds to me that the story you write is about just that. Well, it's, uh, 
It's an interesting life. I, my father died before I was born, three months before of pneumonia. And my mother had a very tough time of it. I was sent to a boarding school very early when I was five years old and had a rough time there, a very lonely time. Somehow I got into a pattern of wasting a lot of my life on athletic matters. Um, I had played basketball very hard. I loved fishing, and, and I still, still think of it with some gratitude. But uh, I didn't spend too much of my life when I was young. And I got to be uh, to be a very reluctant student at 10, studying something I didn't like, insurance, with the thought of going into my stepfather's uh, insurance business. And I went into the Army, and in the, in the kind of free time you have in the Army, particularly the Peace, Peace Army, of course, which was in the early 50s, um, I began to read for the first time, really, in my life. I'd pick up a book and, and read it, which I never did. I only read what was assigned, and only then to get the information to pass a course. I've been a terrible student. And I, I think looking at my life hard on a little installation in France, U.S. Army installation in a corner of France, I began to see something else that I wanted to do. I wanted to just to understand this world of literature, which I'd never had any contact with. And when I came back to the States, I really took this old life and just summarily threw it over. I went back to school as a freshman. I went to college. Uh, and how old were you then? Under the GI Bill. What's that? How old were you then? It sounds like you were a little older when you got to college. So what was the age range that you went back? I was 24 or 25. And all of the friends that I had had in school, at the working school, were in business and the families were starting up the thing. And I told my, I remember telling my stepfather, I was, I wanted to go back to school as a freshman, start all over again. He thought I was insane. And I guess many of my friends thought the same thing. But uh, I had studied insurance at, in college. I could not stand it. I had no interest in it. Uh, it's a perfectly good field, but it wasn't my field. And the title, Fire in the Straw, really has to do with an old quotation I found that says, the tiger cannot hide its claws, fire cannot be hidden in the straw, but at last it will have its course, it will come out. And I had this little fire in me, this little passion, and I didn't know where to go with it. I didn't know whether I could earn a living at it. I didn't know whether I, I had hated most schools. I didn't know whether I could go into teaching. And it, uh, I, it was a moment when I really had to invent myself and determine what I wanted to do. I remember taking a speeding course, and the woman told me uh, that I was stupid to try to do this and I should go back to the insurance business. And she, the phrase she used was, saints with power of levitation couldn't get out of the hole you dug, Nick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, uh, I thought, no, I'm not going to so I finished uh, 
study of literature for a year and a half in the city at the new school and then at Bard College. And I happened to have met a woman that I fell in love with, which I had not uh, before had a girlfriend, really. Um, and married her um, that summer and trailed her where she had was in graduate school in art. She was a painter. And uh, we went out to Michigan. I went on forced myself again went on and got an MA and a PhD eventually at which time I really felt like a new person a different person and we had a long marriage of 58 years a very beautiful one I thought mm. uh, I loved her work and she she we were very much in love we had four well there's no doubt that 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 impacted your life so much that you wanted to write about her in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Nick, I, I've yeah. got I've got to ask you this. Your love of literature also led you to create the Lions Press, did it not? That's right. Um, one of the, the second job I had to take while I was teaching at Hunter College, I had to take a second job session and began to work for Crown Publishers. I became the executive editor at Crown. And then someone came and, and said, uh, an Englishman said, why don't you start a subsidiary for his company in England? And uh, I started one on my dining room table. Um, and then he was discharged. The man who had made the contact was discharged from his firm, and I was cut loose. I was told if I would sell it or else I could buy it. And I raised some money, bought it, started a business of my own, and uh, eventually built it to some size, from 8 or $10 million worth of business a year. I had one of my sons was very adept at business and, uh, in a sense, took it over, and we sold it for a very, very nice profit. Um, at that time, I immediately decided that I wanted to do all the writing that I had always wanted to do and always was too busy to do. But, uh, the change came when I went from teaching to uh, publishing. I didn't know anything about publishing at all. I just just wrote to 100 publishers in New York City, and Crown Publisher was the only person, people that got back to me. I took a job there, and uh, about 10 or 12 years, I became the executive editor and showed a real aptitude for it. But by that time, I was in my 40s, and it, uh, it was a new world. I went from the teaching world, which is, I loved and was a good teacher, even though I had hated school, uh, and then went from that to publishing and from working for somebody to owning a place of my own, which did very well. Nick, this conversation is so important that I'd love to have you back. We're going to do this, uh, the rest of the interview, tomorrow. But a reminder, Fire in the Straw, Notes on Inventing Life by Nick Lyons. So excited to have him. And we'll be back with him tomorrow. And remember, we are always adapting.